Hi, my name's Zach. I'm 12 years old, and I host We the Children, the podcast where kids talk climate change. Like a lot of kids my age, when I think about the future, I can't help but wonder what kind of world will be waiting for us. Will polar bears still roam the Arctic? Will we still be able to see colorful coral reefs or build snowmen in the winter? I'd like to think so. That's why I'm trying to learn as much as I can about climate change science, stories, and solutions from some of the world's leading experts, and share what I learned with all of you. Together, we can decide what type of future we want for our planet. Subscribe to We the Children on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit us at wethechildrenpodcast.com. Remember, we, the children, have the power to make a difference. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the show about science. This is your host, Nate. Today on the show, we're going to meet the mesopredators. What exactly are mesopredators, you say? Well, my guest Laura has all the answers. So, let's get this show started. Hi, um, it's Nate. Hi, Nate. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, thanks. So, can you introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Laura Prue, and I'm an associate professor of wildlife ecology at the University of Washington. So, let's jump right into it. Okay. So, what are mesopredators? Well... They are medium-sized predators. The uh, definition is somewhat arbitrarily set as a predator that is less than 15 kilograms, so about wolverine size or smaller. So what species are the mesopredators? Like, could you name a couple? Uh, Sure, yeah. Well, the coyote is one, and in some places where we've basically remove all the real top predators. Some people consider coyotes to now be more of an apex, but technically they're a mesopredator. Some common ones around urban areas besides coyotes would be raccoons, possums, and then uh, in other areas, uh, foxes. But um, coyotes are my favorite species. I am just so amazed at how adaptable they are and how smart and social and resilient. And they're just a very important group of species because they are at the middle of the food chain. There are so many other species that affect them. And then what they do has a really strong effect on a lot of different species in the food web because they're omnivores. So I just find it really interesting how species interact with each other through these food web pathways. And so mesopredators are kind of at the center of the action. So can you describe to us what an apex predator is? An apex predator is at the top of the food chain in a given ecosystem. 
So it is usually a large carnivore that eats large herbivores, and they usually don't really have another species that eats them. So they're pretty much at the top if you're not thinking about humans. So before I researched for this episode, I thought that there were three things to the food chain. Predators, the herbivores, and the plants. Mm -hmm. But now I think that the predators eat the herbivores and the mesopredators, and the mesopredators eat the herbivores, which eat the plants. Yeah, that's a pretty good summary. You can even get, like, super predators that only eat other predators, like in marine systems. Sometimes the food chain can be really long and have even five or six levels. So food webs can be pretty complex. So mesopredators eat herbivores? They do. So all of those mid-sized predators, a lot of them would be considered an omnivore, which means they eat all kinds of different things. They eat animals, including herbivores. They might also eat other, even smaller mesopredators, or some of them also eat plant material themselves. Uh, Like coyotes, they eat a lot of herbivores like rabbits and voles and mice, but they also eat a lot of berries and nuts and plant material too. So what you're saying is if mesopredators are omnivores, which they sort of are, And now that the apex numbers are dwindling, so it means kind of that we're mesopredators? Are you wondering if humans could be considered mesopredators? Yes. Well, I think humans definitely, most humans are omnivores. But I don't think it would be accurate to say that we are mesopredators because one of the key things about a mesopredator is that it's in the middle of a food chain and so it has things that are normally preying on it. There's some recent papers that say that we are a super predator basically at the top either consuming a lot of other species or controlling them just from hunting or uh, removing their habitat. So humans are probably most accurately in a food web situated above the apex predators. Like, are you saying that there's another level like humans, then apex, then mesopredators, then the omnivores, then the herbivores, then the plants, if you want to make a very complex food chain? Right. Yeah, I think it is. It's great that you thought to add humans into there. Yeah. And one thing you might be noticing as you're kind of trying to lay all this out is it's pretty hard to make it in just a chain, like one on top of the other. And, you know, humans, we're at the top, but we also eat plants and lots of things down below. And so what I find useful is to make it as more of a web that shows all the different connections. And then it's really neat to see how, 
you make a change in one part of the food web and it can affect something way on the other part of a food web that you might not have even thought about because of all these different connections. What happens if we kill all of the apex predators? What will happen to the ecosystem? Well, that's a good question. What what would happen if we got rid of all the top carnivores? Uh, you know, if you ask that question before 1960, ecologists probably would have said, oh, nothing much because predators are kind of, they're really rare and they basically just skim off the top of the food web. But we've realized from some experiments, kind of natural ones, and then um, just, you know, humans kind of manipulating ecosystems that there can actually be really strong effects when you remove large predators. What people focused on mainly is that you can get overabundant kind of plant eaters like gout east. There's a problem of deer overpopulation because really we've gotten rid of most of their natural predators. But lately there's been more focus too on how you can get uh, smaller carnivores becoming more abundant. So with the loss of wolves in North America, coyotes have really expanded their range. And in some cases, they can fill that empty niche, you know, they can kind of play some of the role that the wolves had been playing. But they are really different. Uh, They have a much broader diet. And so sometimes the effects might not be what we expect or what we might find to be desirable. So that leads well to the uh, last thing that I want to talk about, which is what is the concept of a trophic cascade? A trophic cascade is basically uh, indirect interaction. So it's basically how a top carnivore can affect plants through its effect on herbivores. So if you remove top carnivores, that allows herbivores to become more abundant and then they eat more plants and it makes the world less green. So that's the basis of what's sometimes called the green world hypothesis of how is the world green? How are there so many plants? And the theory is that because predators are keeping the herbivores in check. But, you know, it can take different variations. So you can have a trophic cascade that doesn't just have what I just described as three levels, predator, herbivore, and plant. Uh, But you can add in another predator level if you go predator, mesopredator, herbivore, plant. And then you can have the opposite effect on plant where you remove a top carnivore, the mesopredator becomes more abundant. Maybe it suppresses a herbivore, and then there's even more kind of green plants. And if our listeners want to learn more about your work, where can they learn it? Well, I have a website for my lab. It's uh, prulab.com. So there's a lot of information about the research going on, studying these species interactions and mesopredators. 
So that would be a good place to start. Thank you so much, Laura, for being on the show today. All right. Thanks, Nate. It was really fun talking with you. There you have it, folks. The show about science is complete. Music on today's episode was written by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder and Jeff, Dan, and Teresa Brooks. Okay, Dad, you can shut the recording off. Hi, my name's Zach. I'm 12 years old, and I host We the Children, the podcast where kids talk climate change. Like a lot of kids my age, when I think about the future, I can't help but wonder what kind of world will be waiting for us. Will polar bears still roam the Arctic? Will we still be able to see colorful coral reefs or build snowmen in the winter? I'd like to think so. That's why I'm trying to learn as much as I can about climate change science, stories, and solutions from some of the world's leading experts and share what I learned with all of you. Together, we can decide what type of future we want for our planet. Subscribe to We The Children on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit us at wethechildrenpodcast.com. Remember, we, the children, have the power to make a difference.